0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot, bot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. GNT without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Um. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room I'm joined by 22-year-old fencing contractor Michael Rowcroft. Michael's been sober for 11 months as of today, probably by the time this podcast airs it'll be 12 months. He's got a big story to tell and I can't wait to share it with you all. Michael, welcome. How are you today?
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm good. It's
1: great to meet you. This is the first time we've kind of met each other ever. So let's just dive straight in. Can you tell us a bit about your story? I mean, you're only 22 years old, but we've had a few people in their 20s on the podcast before making that commitment to sobriety. Can you tell me a bit about where you started on your journey with alcohol? When did you first have a drink?
0: So I first had a drink, I think it was when I was about 15 years old and I found dad's homemade alcohol in the cupboard. And I just thought I'd have a try of that. And yeah, instantly all my insecurities went away. I was able to speak to people and not feel, I guess, so different compared to everyone else. And yeah, I think from that day onwards, it was just like I found a best friend, I guess.
1: Wow. It's like you found your best friend. Yeah. Were you say that you felt like you were able to speak to people? Was that something that you were finding obviously difficult before? Were you quite shy or what was it about you that made it
0: difficult to speak to people? I guess from like a family friend perspective I was pretty outgoing and always I guess chatty and really good with people but going through high school and primary school and that I was very like singled out I guess and I was very by myself in those sorts of situations but in other situations I'd be around everybody you know.
1: In what way were you singled out?
0: I guess I just never felt like I fit in anywhere Mm -hmm. yeah it was just a very empty feeling I guess.
1: And that feeling of like never fitting in, I think, is a big one for people mm. that end up with addictions because that feeling of not fitting in is pretty bloody uncomfortable. One. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Did that stem from family stuff, do you think, of not feeling like you fitted in, or was it predominantly um, your peers?
0: I'm not too sure. I know there was a little bit of trauma in my childhood which come through, but I think it was mainly bullying at school and all that sort of stuff that come along and social media when I you know going through mm. the early stages of high school it was just very, everyone's just getting their hands on it and, yeah, that social media bullying, stuff like that. It's so massive, isn't it? Like sometimes be coaching people and they'll say, no, no, I had a really great
1: childhood and then they might disclose later on that they were really bullied at school or mm. bullied on social media and that's very traumatic.
0: Yeah, for- 100%.
1: Yeah, for people. Wow. Okay. So I kind of understand too that you take this drink and then suddenly you feel this confidence come over you. And how did it progress from there? Were you drinking with friends, family? How did it look? Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, I started drinking with a few mates on weekends and then I got caught by my parents. And I guess ever since that I got caught, it was kind of accepted, I guess, within the family home that yeah, you know, I was 16, 17, and it was about time I start drinking, I guess. They didn't supply it, but I was able to do it, I guess. And then that progressed into other substances as well that enhanced my drinking.
1: Mm, What other substances did you get into, if you don't mind
0: sharing? Yeah, so I was at the start, it was just a bit of pot here and there, and then it just went to pills. And then from pills, it went to meth and that was yeah that's what brought me to my knees i guess
1: wow the meth it's such a scary thing i had someone on recently trish or oh, and she progressed into taking meth the drinking the party drugs the meth and it got pretty pretty bad there for her for a bit how did the meth look for you i mean that's pretty scary territory to get into
0: yeah Took me to being homeless, not having any family, not having any friends, thieving, lying, stealing. I guess all the characteristics of a method were there. Wow. It didn't take long for it all to crumble out, you know, crumble down either. It was within a three to six month period, everything was gone. Wow.
1: Literally from the time you started taking it, three to yeah. six months. That is quick, isn't it? Wow, that's so scary. Isn't it interesting that you talk about alcohol gave you this sense of fitting in and then it leads on to you taking meth and then you're completely isolated again and an outcast again.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think yeah, you know, I drank basically the whole way through. When, I guess when I first started to take meth it was it just increased my capacity to fit in even more because there was I guess it was socially acceptable within the group that I was hanging out with at the time as well.
1: Oh, wow. And, um,
0: Okay. So you know, yeah. Cause I mean, they're all
1: doing it kind of. Yeah. Mm. So it was
0: just uh, a yeah, big, I guess, product of my environment, I guess. Right.
1: So you're drinking, doing the meth, hanging out with people that are all doing mm-hmm. the same thing. This is a generalized question and don't bite my head off and people listening, don't bite my head off either. But do you feel like those people now in hindsight and looking back and perhaps on what you've learned on your own journey so far, do you think they were kind of traumatized people as well?
0: Yeah, 100%, for sure.
1: It's really interesting. In reading the book In the Realm of Hungry Ghost, Gabor Mate, he talks about there's obviously a lot of meth in that story because of where he's working in the homeless shelters in Vancouver in Canada. But he says the worse the addiction really coincided with the more trauma that the people have been through. Yeah. And Yeah. And he just saw that people had these massive addictions. He just saw just trauma all over them yeah,
0: yeah 100%, for sure yeah.
1: yeah it's sad isn't it when you look at it like that rather than looking at people particularly homeless pe- people you see on the street and you can kind of tell if they're on the meth or heroin and just yeah. actually looking at them rather than with disgust you see some people but if you looked at them through the lens of trauma you suddenly look at them very differently you just kind of your heart bleeds yeah. for them
0: a bit Yeah, definitely. They've all got a story for sure.
1: Yes, absolutely. So tell me, were you starting to, I mean, obviously like homeless, I mean, how did it get there? Tell me a bit about that and how did it get to there, to that point where you're homeless? And
0: Yeah, so I guess, yeah, there was a few times where I'd be with girlfriends and I'd black out and cause stupid arguments and, yeah, I guess with family as well I'd be doing the same thing and I guess everyone had enough, you know. Yeah, then there was this one night where, My ex-girlfriend, she kind of just had enough and called it up, like called it quits sort of thing. And I was living at hers at the time. And I knew if I went home, it would get in the way of my using and drinking, so that was not an option you know it was rather i'll just live in my car because there's no no barriers there and yeah that just set off another whole bunch of problems that come my way i guess i mean we need
1: the barriers or those boundaries don't we as human beings like just like little kids but we need boundaries in our life to kind of stop us so when you say you're living in your car and then you don't have those boundaries anymore what happens then what happened to you
0: Yeah, it went pretty south pretty quickly. Yeah, I ended up getting sober on my own back for about two months after six months of that stuff, I guess, living in a a car and not knowing what was going to happen to me or where I was going to be or losing a job, especially. That was the big one. And then, yeah, got sober and then went back out using. And yeah, then I got stabbed.
1: What? You got
0: stabbed? Yeah. So I got stabbed seven times on August the 4th in 2021. Can you talk us through that? I guess it was a drug deal gone wrong. Yeah, I was driving for a mate and um, yeah, this bloke came through the driver's window and stabbed me seven times. And then I yeah took myself to the nearest survey. Where, where in
1: your body did he stab you?
0: Both my lungs, he nicked my heart, my throat, my, throat, my arm. Oh my God.
1: So,
0: yeah, I was taken to the Royal Adelaide Hospital and I died six times on the operating table and was in a coma for about nine days or something.
1: Oh, my God. I have to ask, did you cross over? Did you see the light or anything? Or?
0: Yeah, it's kind of weird. It was like, yeah, I don't know. It's It was like a dream, I guess, that I think I, I felt like I had. It was like I could just, I was running along a beach. It was like peace, I guess, and then it just come back to it. Yeah. Oh, it's kind yeah. of freaky. I still get goosebumps to this day thinking about that time.
1: Yeah, gee afterwards I might talk to you a bit more about that I'm really into near-death experiences yeah. it's um it's really fascinating stuff yeah. this is so different because I guess this is very different to people who are binge drinking their fine wines on the weekend like this is a whole different set of circumstances here but alcohol and drugs that don't discriminate like you say you get yourself around enough trauma as well and this is I guess this is what can arise that's mm-hmm. fucking huge so how much were you drinking at this stage how much alcohol are you consuming me was it every
0: day or yeah it was every day would have been close to maybe half a liter of vodka a day I guess kind of beer a day yeah it didn't really matter what it was or how much it was it was just anything that would get me to the point of escape escape
1: yeah what do you feel like you're trying to escape from
0: I guess the guilt and the shame from everything that I did in my past I guess all the people I hurt to mm. that present moment I guess trying to escape from reality
1: yeah, it's so big, isn't it? You're telling me this story and I'm imagining you living in your car and losing a job and everything's getting pretty out of control. How's your self-esteem at that point? How are you feeling about yourself?
0: Yeah, I don't think I had any self-esteem at all. There was points where I wouldn't shower for three months. I wouldn't eat for weeks. Yeah, I think at my lowest I was like 48 kilos. Wow.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah.
0: So there was no real self-esteem. I had a really high ego but no self-esteem. You know? It was like I was invincible, but then I was broken. You know? It was really hard feeling to describe, I guess.
1: Was there ever moments of clarity, perhaps when you first woke up in the morning and you had some quiet time, was there ever that point where you felt oh, like that tugging to want more or to want to change? Was there ever that moment where the ego wasn't so high, but you felt, wow, I really want to do something about this?
0: Yeah, I guess when there was nothing left or I was scraping, you know, I only added half a bottle left or whatever it may be. And just knowing there was no more. And that would be the time where I think, okay, maybe it's time to give up. Yeah. Wow. Did that seem like a really scary concept? Yeah, it was very scary. Like my biggest fear was getting sober or coming down. That was one of my biggest fears.
1: What was the scariest thing for you? Do you think about that?
0: going back into reality, facing the stuff that I've, yeah, facing the chaos I caused. Mm.
1: It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to forgive yourself, I guess, sometimes when things have not played yeah. out so well.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah.
1: I'm going to come back to that because I want to ask you a bit about that and where you're at with that now, yeah. now that you've been sober for for some time. Who did you speak to? So at the time when this was happening, and if there was moments of clarity and thinking, I should probably get sober. Was there anyone that you had to talk to about it?
0: Not really. I guess the most recent, like 11 months ago when I got sober, I guess I kind of, yeah, I made a breakthrough with my little brother and, yeah, got in contact with him to see if I could go home because I was homeless at that point and, yeah, mum and dad didn't really want anything to do with me. They said, yep, you can come home. So I guess that was the only time I really reached out for help. Yeah, I think getting stabbed was a kind of a silent reach out, I guess. Like their mum and dad really knew the extent of my addiction and my family really knew, yeah, the extent of what I was going into, I guess.
1: Yeah. When you say mum and dad didn't want anything to do with you, was it you or the behaviour?
0: The behaviour. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because I'm sure they still loved you. They were probably just worried sick.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah.
1: What got them to the point, do you think, where they'd had enough and sort of pushed you out and how? what effect did that have on you without having them around Yeah.
0: I guess it was just after years of constant blackouts, arguments, me trying to be manipulative, controlling, lying to them, telling mum I'll catch up with her and then not showing up and not answering my phone for days on end. I guess worrying them, yeah, I guess they had to let go at some point. And I guess the best thing they ever did was let go because then that made me realise that there was something, yeah, something had to change.
1: That must have been a really hard point when you don't have the kind of caregivers Mm. there anymore when they say we can't do anything, we're wiping our hands of this. How did
0: that feel? I remember I was in a mate's house and I was just, I guess I was lost. I had nobody and this bloke took me in for a week or so and could get my head straight, I guess. But, yeah, it was very, very lonely. I was very, very scared of what was going to come next, but I knew, yeah, something had to shift.
1: Yeah, wow, it's so huge. And then thinking about those earlier triggers where you felt like you didn't fit in in terms of that trauma and those old self-beliefs you had about yourself, it must have just been pretty hard. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, hard place to be. Wow. Oh, It's such hard decision for a parent too I can't imagine how scary that must be for the parent to actually get to the point where they say enough must be a really Mm -hmm. hard decision for them to make Yeah, yeah for sure yeah tell me about then so you're getting yourself into rehab or what led to that and how did you get yourself in there
0: yeah, so I was in the Adelaide city in a public toilet and I was pretty drunk and I was really, really high and I was had nothing left. I knew I was running out and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I didn't know who I was becoming and didn't know what to do, who I was anymore. I had no identity. The identity I had was definitely not who I wanted to continue being. It was weird. Something told me that to bring my little brother and I did. And yeah, from then on, I got home and I said to mum, I needed help. And yeah, I remembered a lad from a 12-step program I was in talking about this Tumbling farm up in the Adelaide Hills. And I thought I've always wanted to go onto a farm. So I guess we'll apply. And yeah, I put my application in and they said it would be a six to eight week wait. And so I kind of locked myself in my bedroom for six weeks because I couldn't trust myself and my parents couldn't trust me. And I guess it was just a long six weeks. But it was well worth it.
1: Fucking hell. So before you even got to rehab, you had to do six to eight weeks of drying out on your own. Yeah. Oh, my God. Tell, what did that look like? Is that even safe? Like, did you see a doctor first or what no, did you
0: do? No, I didn't see a doctor. Yeah, I just went to my bedroom. I slept for about, I don't know, I slept for nearly two weeks, I reckon. Just wake up, eat, and go back to sleep. That was all I did for about four weeks, I reckon. So I quit alcohol. Quit the weed, quit all the drugs, and quit smoking all at once. It was just that one night. It was that rock bottom <laughs> oh that it was, just, it was done.
1: We're you having physical withdrawals, like that's a lot to detox from
0: yeah I had we was waking up cold sweats I had the shakes real bad but I guess I was that tired and that worn out from that partying it was just yeah it was like a you know, rest I guess it was yeah good
1: Wow and how were mum and dad supporting you like that must have been huge for them as well and your little brother
0: yeah yeah, yeah. it was yeah it was pretty big for them I think their trust to leave me at home while they were out at work mum took time off work to be there for me I guess my little brother I've kind of opened his eyes up to the world with what the stuff's like. And to this day, he still doesn't drink or use. So that's good. How old is he? He's 19
1: now. Awesome. That's such a huge thing to go through. But if you think even if it only helped him, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Wow. This is unbelievable. So were there times in there where you were tempted or felt that kind of pull to go and get drugs or to get alcohol?
0: There were times where I felt it, but I knew I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I just, yeah, I didn't want to do it anymore. I knew I just wanted to be back to, I guess my normal self and I was done with it. Wow.
1: God, oh, what a, that's uh, just incredible. Were people contacting you from your past, like the old crew that you used to hang out with?
0: Yeah. i Deliberately just had no phone, so I lost contact with everybody, which was good.
1: Have you seen any of of them since? No. Wow. It's really part of it, isn't it? Especially if it's got that bad that it's like you can't really associate with any of those people anymore.
0: No. Yeah, it's definitely, um, yeah, I had to cut them clear off.
1: Do you feel like if you saw them and they tried to pull you back in, do you feel like you're equipped to be able to say no?
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: Yeah, amazing. Gosh, you're just amazing. Tell us a little bit about for people listening, God, if they're going through something like that, but when you got that pull, it must have been quite strong, but you said you knew you just couldn't. Was it like a big mental battle or how did you kind of ride those waves out?
0: Yeah, it was mainly a mental battle for sure. But yeah, I guess whenever an urge came or a craving came, I kind of just, yeah, I just had to sit back and I'd just go to sleep or I'd distract myself again because I knew there was so close to being able to get away from it for good. It was just that testing period. And yeah, I guess I just had enough. I guess once you've had enough, you've had enough and you'll do anything to be able to continue.
1: Yeah. Amazing. It's like, you can almost see that freedom, almost like when you're walking on that beach, when you sort of yeah. had that new death experience, it's like, you've got a glimpse of freedom. Okay. Just keep walking towards the freedom. Yeah. Oh God. Absolutely. Amazing. So then what was it like in rehab when you got into
0: rehab? The rehab is amazing. It was very different to what I had thought Rehab was going to be like. There was no barbed wire fences. There was no security guards at the gate. There was, yeah, it was just very laid back. It's on a farm, uh, 88 acres out in the Adelaide Hills. And yeah, it was kind of, I just from day dot, I accepted it as it was a new lifestyle. And I just had to put everything that I used to put into using into recovery. And I got told, you do that and you'll go far. So I did all the suggested things. And yeah, I still go back there to this day. I've just been there today helping out. And yeah, that's awesome. um, trying to help the young lads come through. you know.
1: Yeah, that's so awesome to give back and to be of service is so fantastic. What was one of the biggest takeaways that you kind of learnt or what's been the biggest thing to help you in your recovery that you learnt from them?
0: There was a couple of things, but I think the main thing is when things get hard or tough, just to keep on leaning in and just to push further in and to not just get stagnant, I guess. So, yeah, if there's any, like, for me, things that I found difficult within the first month of recovery, I don't find difficult now. But the things I find difficult now, I guess, in a month or two months' time, I won't find difficult. You know, I guess the biggest thing that helped me was knowing that this too shall pass. So whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's going to pass.
1: Amazing. What was one of the things that you found difficult in early recovery, if you don't mind sharing?
0: Definitely trying to create that new identity and get, and knowing what you want to do and who you want to become, I guess. Yes. I was fighting so hard to not be the person I was, but there were parts of me that were good and I couldn't see that in early recovery. Yeah, wow. Um, I wanted to change everything and I was always got told there was a saying, if you got one flat tyre, you just change that one flat tyre, you don't change all of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, wow. So recognising that there was good parts.
0: Yeah, that was the hard part. Trying to see the good in the bad that I did.
1: How did you connect with the good parts in you? How did you develop a practice to do that?
0: I think it was like when I was two weeks into rehab, I remember from early days in recovery back a couple of years beforehand, someone was telling me the importance of a gratitude list. And yeah, I kind of started that and I've done one ever since every day and i guess that kind of made me change my mind from a negative way of thinking to a positive way of thinking and looking at it like okay you know i've done some bad things in my past but now i can use that stuff to be able to show people there is a way of recovery and just trying to identify the good things i did in the bad times yeah i never really let anybody down yeah there was definitely times that there were good and there were bad but trying to see through that i guess cloudy moments for sure
1: yeah it's so true because i guess we feel like when we're kind of in addiction or we're in that terrible place we just see ourselves as bad it's all bad and we don't take time to reflect on what's actually good yeah yeah I love that what you said that if one tire's flat you don't have to change all the tires that's that's genius I love that yeah Yeah. so it's just fixing that one part that's kind of gone a bit astray Yeah. hundred percent. Mm, yeah. Amazing. That's yeah. such a beautiful share. Thank you. That's, I'm sure a lot of people will hear that and go, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And like you say, if this journey has got you to a place where you're going to help other people through, I think it's makes it all worth it. And you proving that you are reliable, like you say, like turning up and helping out. It's such a, what a beautiful thing to do. Yeah. So what kind of things would you find triggering now or challenging now, 11 months down the track?
0: Triggers now are like uncomfortable situations, I guess arguments or when I feel my emotions. I'm a really oversensitive person. When things don't go my way or when people say some things and it's nine times out of ten, it's not what they mean. I guess that can be a trigger. Yeah, I guess when I'm tired hungry, just the simple ones, the whole toes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And working with that sensitivity, understanding our own sensitivities and also understanding sometimes that just because someone's saying something or doing something, even if they are meaning it directly at us, it's on them, isn't it? And it's nothing to do with us and to just try and let it go and wash yeah, over. Sure. And that, like you say, that sitting with emotions is something I've bang on about every podcast is just like learning to sit with your emotions and feel them in the body and just be with them. Mm. Yeah. So are you developing a practice around that, around learning to sit with the emotions and, and feel the emotions?
0: Yeah. So yeah, I'm doing a 12 step program at the moment. And I guess part of that is reflecting on your day and sitting down and doing your meditation. And I guess I can feel all that stuff coming in. When it's there and I'm able to sit there and deal with it then and there rather than sitting there and letting it brew up and being able to affect my day or the next three or four days. When something comes up, I can see it and identify what it is that's annoying me or making me feel the way I'm feeling and then be able to address that.
1: Tell you what, if I could have learnt that at 22, like, it probably would have changed so much in my life. Like what an amazing thing to be able to tap into and learn it that I don't mean to sound condescending, but at that age, like you're still so young and you've got all this wisdom.
0: Yeah. yeah. I guess it's just, uh, it's definitely been a journey.
1: Absolutely. So what's your relationship with yourself? Like now, you know, you said that you weren't loving and you weren't loving yourself. That's for sure. And your self-esteem was in the toilet. How do you kind of feel about yourself now?
0: I guess my self esteem's back. It's definitely not to what I would picture it as at the moment, which is okay. I'm definitely liking who I'm becoming. I know there's still a lot of room for improvement and no one's perfect, but yeah, definitely black and white to what it used to be.
1: Yeah, it takes a while too, I guess, that practice of learning to like ourselves and have that relationship that's actually quite nurturing with ourselves. What's your daily practice look like? How do you start your day that sort of keeps you on that road of recovery?
0: So, yeah, I guess every morning I wake up and I do a daily reading from the 12-step program I'm in and do my meditation and a bit of prayer. And then, yeah, I just kickstart my day with that stuff and potentially a run in the morning or in the afternoon but yeah other than that I just yeah I reach out to other sober people I try to do service where I can I just keep my head in recovery and not in drugs or alcohol I don't entertain that idea anymore I don't entertain that music all the new style music's all about that stuff I guess I had to change all that yeah, I guess so even
1: changing the music you listen to
0: yeah for sure I guess I used to listen to like a lot of Aussie rap and that just glorifies that whole lifestyle there's nothing good about that life lifestyle and all these young rappers that are coming up they're just yeah they love it I guess I used to and I could see where they're coming from but now I just yeah there's nothing good about it
1: yeah, I guess some of that style of music can kind of glorify that inverted commas gangster. Yeah, 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 yeah 100%. <laughs> yeah, way of being. So tell me on a personal note, I, I want to ask you this. I've got a nephew, he's in jail at the moment and he's been in there for three years now and he had a big addiction with alcohol and meth. It's sort of led to some stuff that took place that yeah. ended him up in jail. Anyway, he's so determined to come out and get himself into rehab and he really wants to change. Like it may have been the best thing that ever happened to him as hard as it's been on his mom and family having him there, but he probably needed it. What would you say like for people that have, especially with that kind of lifestyle, he was homeless as well for some time and it got pretty bad. What advice would you give for someone that's in that situation and and coming out and stepping back into life again to stay sober? What would you sort of
0: recommend? You know, it was funny. I was only chatting to a bloke today at the rehab about this, and it does get easier. Yeah, my life isn't what I pictured it to be now. It's amazing. It does work. If you work it, it's not going to just fall into your lap. It's definitely something you've got to work on every day, sometimes mm-hmm. every hour. People who want it and people who need it, but it's the people who do it will succeed. Yeah. That's the crux of it, I think. Yeah, I guess it's just, yeah, just don't look at the big picture. Just look at mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Today's the only, only day that matters. Doesn't matter about the future, doesn't matter about the past. Yeah, you just got to focus on today. Get yourself through one day at a time. And for early stages, mm,
1: yeah, I guess for well, in this instance, he's been sober now for three years because he's been yeah. incarcerated. It's the getting back out, I guess, and getting back into life and the old triggers and the old friends. And yeah, definitely. It's interesting what you said earlier about not being in contact with those people that you were yeah. friends with before and kind of protecting yourself, isn't it?
0: Yeah, for sure, definitely. My sobriety is more valuable than anything in my life at the moment. My family's back. I never thought. I'd ever have them back and in order to keep what I've got I've got to sacrifice my old friends I've got to sacrifice all that stuff that I used to do and I've got something that's priceless now yeah that all that stuff doesn't mean anything to me anymore wow so true isn't it yeah yeah yeah. once you can find value in what you have now sober that's when you can start looking at that life is just gone it's just it's out
1: it's so powerful and seeing the value in what you have yeah and that's the gratitude too isn't it yeah, having gratitude definitely. helps you realize the value in the life that we've got yeah and the goodness in our life yeah wow just thinking about the sort of daily practices. So you've got the meditation and the prayer, the reading, which is all input, isn't it? It's good input. Exercise, you're exercising, you're staying away from old triggers or people that might trigger you. Speaking of exercise, you're doing this run. So you're doing this run on the 20th of April for 340 kilometres, which you want to do in three days. What the fuck and why?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. You ask why, I guess. When I left rehab, I could see there was some changes happening with the staffing and budgets. And because I had some clarity and I was pretty in time with the team leader there, I had an understanding that we had some government cuts. And yeah, I kind of got a resentment towards the place just because the new lads coming through weren't going to have the same experience I had and they're still not, which is fine. I guess we're just going to work with what we've got. And so I was kind of meditating one day up in Port Macquarie, which where I was living, and it just come to me that I should just do a fundraiser and do a run for it. And I guess when those sort of clear things come to me in meditation, I jump on it. And within like 10 or 15 minutes, I had the GoFundMe page set up, the Facebook page, I had the route <laughs> I set it. out, and it was just, everything just fell into place. Before I knew it, I didn't actually research how far the run was it was just that name of lavender trail just come into my head and so yeah and then i did some research in it and the current record at the moment is four and a half days which i'm going to try doing three three and a half days so
1: bloody um, hell
0: yeah it's going to be a journey but at this present moment we've raised over nearly five and a half thousand dollars yeah and it's just continuously growing with the amount of sponsors that are getting on board
1: oh my god that is amazing well i'll definitely be donating to that and for people listening please we'll put links in the the show notes and I'll also post stuff on the social media after this podcast airs yeah. so that people can follow you and donate money to this cause because yeah. what a fucking beautiful thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. A- absolutely amazing. And are you making a documentary out of this?
0: Yeah. So at the moment, there's a little emotional video with a bit of my background story and to why I like running. Because yeah, it was kind of an accident how I fell into running. That's another different story. That was tell us. In rehab. There was a young lad coming in, and he had entered for an ultra marathon in the Adelaide City, and at the time. The adventure therapist had just completed the Heisen Trail who broke the record. Yeah, I guess I look at it like we're all human. We can do it. doesn't matter how fit you are. You can always do it. You put anything you can put your mind to, I guess. So yeah, I guess I got all the lads into this Front, front yard ultra and yeah, my first ever run in about eight years, I did 37 Ks. So i just caught the bug from that day onwards. And then I went out and did a 50 kilometer ultra this weekend coming, I've got a marathon in Bel Air. God I've got pretty high intensive training plan at the moment, but yeah, it was really by accident falling into running. I used to hate running, but yeah, getting sober and just seeing progress, I guess with it, because I wasn't deluded and I wasn't drunk or whatever. I could just, yeah, I could see I was getting fit and my asthma has gone away now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty mm. crazy.
1: It must feel so good to go from that place where your body was in such bad shape to then be able to run like these like 50Ks and these ultra marathons. I mean, that's that must feel so good in your body.
0: Yeah, it feels pretty amazing. And knowing that, my lungs are only at like 50 to 70 percent and that's all they ever will be from the stabbing and just knowing that a human can do that sort of stuff at full capacity Mm. is pretty amazing just knowing that it's mainly mind over matter
1: unbelievable what happened to the guy that stabbed you did he end up in prison or was he charged they haven't caught him yet how do you feel towards him?
0: Yeah, I guess when I first got sober, I was yeah, there was a big resentment towards him. But I guess if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have got sober. So I just hope that he finds recovery and gets himself well. Cause yeah, I yeah, there's no point in having a resentment because it's like drinking poison and hoping someone else dies. You're the only one that's suffering. So I've just got to let that stuff go. And yeah, he changed my life. Uh, oh
1: my God. I am covered in goosebumps. I'm about to start bawling. That's unbelievable because just to have that level of compassion and to see the the gratitude in that, like if you can see the gratitude in someone stabbing you and kind of fucking your lungs up and all the rest of it. But if you can find gratitude in that, that is just incredible. Absolutely beautiful. Has it taken a while to see that?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. It's only mm-hmm. been in the last six months, I guess, getting to that point for sure.
1: I'd love to stay posted on this too. I've got this feeling you'll probably end up helping him. <laughs> like, <laughs> that would be, um, yeah. But anyway, that's just my little imagination. Tell me, how does living with reality now, and when you think about the stuff in the past, like you said that you were trying to escape from the things that you have done in the past, and that was causing the, the alcohol and the drug usage? How do you handle that now? How do you meet that when the stuff in the past comes up to haunt you or to visit you? How do you sit with
0: that? There's definitely times where I just want to run i you there was a really amazing bloke who was the manager of Tumble and Farm who said it doesn't matter about what comes your way. It's just the way you adjust your sails for the wind. And I guess it's really true. If I keep on just trying to change my perspective on things and to not get in a pity party or to look at it in a negative way, then I'm fine. It's when I can get caught up in myself and think that it's all me, it's all me and get up in that selfish, self-centered stuff It's when I start struggling. But yeah, when I can look at it in another perspective, And I guess when things start bothering me, it's kind of an indication that I need to go address that, especially from the past. So part of the 12-step program is you got to make amends. And when something comes up, from my past that's niggling at me. I've got to yeah, go down and see who did a harm and what did I do wrong and go make amends. It's nothing about what they did to me or how they hurt me or who stuffed me over. It's about what I did to them, cleaning wow. up my side of the street.
1: How does that feel like to have to go and confront someone that you may have hurt in the past? Like that must be extraordinarily difficult.
0: Yeah, sometimes my ego can get in the way and be like, you don't have to do that because we've grown up in a generation where it looks like you're weak if you speak up, I guess, or you're soft if you go and say, sorry or whatever it is. But for me, it's if I go and do that amends, I come out as the better person and I'm set free from that guilt and that shame. And once you're set free, it's pretty amazing. It must
1: feel extraordinarily amazing. Once you get to the other side of it, I just imagine going Mm -hmm. into it would be super nerve wracking. Has it ever backfired on you where you've gone to make amends and it hasn't been received very well?
0: No, not at the moment. I guess there's been times where things have come up and it might be dangerous for me to go there. So it's something that's just not addressed. So it's like a living amends. So i just stay sober and just pray that I come across my path, then i make it, but I'm not going to go out looking for them, I guess.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, there are times where I just need to look at it and see drama there or is there potential that I could get injured or they could get injured or am I going to cause them harm by doing this? And there's a big range of factors that come into it. And I guess once you back yourself in, it's
1: pretty good wow I love that what you said too sometimes just living amends can be enough so just the fact that you're staying sober can be enough definitely yeah absolutely wow like such an incredible story of this so many more things I Mm. want to ask you about but if you could go back and speak to your 15 year old self before you had that drink or when he felt that kind of sensation of what the drink was doing to him what would you say to him
0: what advice would you give that boy yeah, I haven't really thought about that. I remember you asking someone else in their podcast about this and I thought, wow, I, yeah, I wouldn't know what I would say. But I guess just hang in there. It's your mind that's saying all this stuff. It's not true yeah it's just you are worthy and you'll come out the other side of this whether it's in recovery or whether you don't yet you just just keep doing what you're doing and you'll get there for sure
1: yeah i love that to hang in there and reminding yourself that you're worthy and even remembering that those words and giving yourself that mantra every day you're just reminding yourself little reminding your 15 year old self but also reminding yourself that you are worthy and and just to hang in there
0: yeah definitely yeah
1: super super powerful okay so michael you're going to send me stuff for the show notes about where people can donate and perhaps that promotional video that would be also fantastic and if anyone wanted to reach out to you
0: would that be okay would you yeah 100% yeah i'm pretty open book if people want to reach out yeah i can provide you with whatever phone number email facebook whatever you like yeah i'm always happy to help someone reaches out that means they're putting my path for a reason i guess and I can just mm. do my
1: best to help. Yeah, amazing. Okay. So we'll put we'll put all that on the show notes too if someone yep. wants to contact you that they can. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing this huge story. That's absolutely amazing and so fucking inspiring. To come from where you've come from and to be here now is just such a huge leap and yeah. so fucking brave. Thank you, you, know. you. I just want to say something else too, before when you're saying about it can be seen as soft to go and say sorry, but to me that's actually really masculine and really brave and courageous to actually be able to front up and to front our demons and meet yeah. them and shake their hand
0: you know 100 and it's sometimes it can be like your ego gets crushed and your pride gets crushed but once you do it you turn around and you look back and you're like yep that was me and that's yeah that's the person who i want to continue to be yeah god
1: amazing absolutely amazing fucking well done what a massive journey of recovery this is and i'm sure we'll continue to be you're amazing absolutely Thank amazing you. thanks michael bye
0: Thank bye See you